Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. I'll be taking today's Bible reading, and um, at the end of the reading, I would say, this is the word of the Lord. You are pleased to respond. Thanks be to God. Today's Bible reading is taken from Jonah 4, 1 to 11. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, so that he knew, so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, "It would be better for me to die than to live." But God said to Jonah, "Is it right for you to be angry about the plant?" "It is," he said, "and I am angry. I wish I were dead." But the Lord said. You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are many more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good morning again. Uh, my name is Femi, and you're welcome, especially if you're here for the first time. If you've not been here in a while, we want to start a new series. It's a series that I will not lie, I have felt a little bit of pressure. I think some people started to get the sense that I was meant to give the apologetic for why you should remain in Lagos. Like, I was about to end every argument. Um, well, yes, I am. <laughs> no, but. Um, uh, I remember when we wanted to plant uh, City Church, when we started and wanted to plant, and I come up with uh, sort of the, the vision and you know the mission, the vision to catalyze the gospel center movement that renews the city of Lagos, the mission which was to, which is to build a community of worshipers on mission. So usually, you know, when you're starting something like this, like a startup, you have to try and be convincing people. So you have one-on-one, -on -one, the amount of money I spent in, um, what they call that place? Femi introduced me to eh? Ice cream factory, <laughs> those are the people that I took there. You still owe me. <laughs> you know, yeah, so you're selling it, and 
people are tracking with you. So you say, ah, there's a vision. You know, you speak a little bit of English. Everybody was going on. And I was like, ah, we're going to have three values. Right? We're going to have three values. Really, what's it? Love, love Jesus. I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, you know, you go. Love people. Ah, wow. I'm excited about this church. Love Lagos. Then two things happen. You know, Nigel, especially the women. Faye, I'm talking to you. They know how to communicate with eyes. Like, Nigerian women can give you sentences with eyes. What I will first get is this. Love Jesus would not be this kind of eyebrow and face, check out face, more like, what? Like, love Lagos. Then the next thing is, the, eyebrow, the eyes will now just roll like, wherever. <laughs> so it's first, what, and then, wherever. Like, love Lagos. And I wonder why. I mean, after all, Lagos is the city of excellence, where all things are done in excellence, because we have an excellent spirit. Or rather, we have an excellent spirit. Uh, we're in church now, so you have to make it a little bit. So but the question is, why don't we? Why is it that everyone instinctively and intuitively balks at the fact that we can be asked to love Lagos? Why don't we feel obliged to love Lagos in the same way that you say, oh, I, I want to love Jesus and I want to love people? I think someone, some people will say, Femi, well, it's very hard. This city is very hard. Take rain and flood. What's there to love in that? One chance hypnotics, what's there to love in that? Internet frosters, what's there to love in that? Substandard artisans, what's there to love in that? Noisy churches, what's there to love in that? Lack of constant electricity, what's there to love in that? Small business frustration, what's there to love in that? And yet, with all of these things, I want to contend that the Bible calls us, as Christians, to love our city, to truly love it. And so in six sermons, we're going to look at how Christians, and I want to keep underscoring that, Christians are called to be people of the city, people who love their city, and for us in particular, people who love Lagos. And what we're going to be discussing, I would say this, I can't give you a secular argument for it. But I think when we look through the pages of scripture, that you'll find a number of reasons why God will be calling us to be committed to loving this city. How many of us have nicknames here? Nicknames? You know, how did you get, what your nickname, what your nicknames? Maybe they're abbreviations, or maybe they've come, um, maybe it's an abbreviation of your name and your title. Or maybe your nickname is based on an event in your life or certain qualities that you possess. Some of us have biblical nicknames. I'm sure there are some Josephs or Josephines here. You know if you are called Joseph, you know what that means? Yeah? That, you, that you dream a lot. That's what happens. You dream, you dream a lot. because So Joseph, Josephines, I'm not going to tell you about my story with one Josephine that I ran away from. But my first nickname, you know what my first nickname was that I can remember? My first nickname was Jonah. Yeah, that was my first nickname, given to somebody sitting in somewhere uh, in the back row there. It was given to me. Now, Jonah is who we're looking at today. And, um, you know, Jonah was in, the, if you look at the first chapter, there was a storm that was raging, but Jonah was sleeping. 
So apparently, my dad thought that I used to sleep too much. And so I was called Jonah. Jonah is a very interesting figure. We've all learned about Jonah, you know, growing up. One of the things we remember the most was Jonah was swallowed by a fish, a big fish. Uh, and then he was transported by that fish. But honestly, I want us to look at Jonah because I think he tells us a lot more about, um, um, about something that's on God's heart than just being an alternative mode of transportation or the fact that people just sleep too much. Uh, Jonah will teach us or will show us that our reaction towards Lagos says a lot about us, about God, and the kind of people he wants us to be. All right? So this sermon we've titled, Why You Should Love Lagos. Why You Should Love Lagos. And there are three headings that I want to look um, at this under. A, why we don't love Lagos. B, why we should love Lagos. And C, how we must love Lagos. Why we don't love Lagos why we should love Lagos, and how we must love Lagos. So let's go to our first point. Quick one. In chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh to tell them about their impending doom. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time. Some historians have basically called it what you, they called it a terrorist state. It was a wicked city. Um, I'm quoting from a book uh, by a guy called Tim Keller, a former pastor and an author, um, a book uh, called The Prodigal Prophet. And here's what he quotes and saying, after capturing enemies, the Assyrians will typically cut off their legs, both legs, and one arm leaving the other arm and hand so that they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with decapitated heads of their loved ones elevated on poles. This was a city that even burned adolescents alive. And it says that their wickedness had come up to God, you can imagine. So God sent Jonah there. But Jonah refused. In chapter 1, he entered a ship going away from Nineveh, only for God to cause a storm which led to him being thrown overboard into the mouth of a whale. In the belly of the whale, Jonah repented. He is brought back to shore and proceeds to Nineveh. That's what chapter 2 is about. In chapter 3, he preaches there for three days. Then, amazingly, the people begin to amend their ways. So God does not judge them. And that brings us to chapter, that's all chapter 3. And that brings us now to chapter 4. And what do we find? We find that Jonah is angry. Verse 1. He became angry. Verse 9, we find that he's very angry. And God asks him why. He asks him twice. Verse 4. Is it right for you to be angry? Verse 9. Is it right for you to be angry? On the surface... Why do you think Jonah was angry? Well, I'll tell you. He was embarrassed. You know, in Niger or Lagos, um, they say packaging is everything. You know, it's, it doesn't matter what is inside the container, but how does the container look? Because really, no one will be drawn to the content if what? The packaging is not right. He said, "Your." Attitude determines your 
up to today. You guys are well versed in this thing. <laughs> We're ready to take on the world. <laughs> Some of you have actually preached this thing in your offices. So we like to sell. We like to sell a, you know, a, a good game. If you take this product, if you take this product, your life will change. You put, you know, before and after. Right? Eat this salad and your life will change. Take this pill and your wife will love you. You understand? You sell everything. We give the best customer products, our best customer service. This event that we're about to have, this church event, ah, in fact, breakthrough, everything, we sell in Lagos. Now imagine you've sold. You've sold that we are this, we are this, we are this. And then you don't deliver. You don't deliver. Like recently, um, um, a, a client of, I don't want to say it because I don't want people to go and find it, a client that serves us in where, where we live didn't deliver on something. And, you know, after a while of giving, of being patient, you know, trying to tell them, hey, behave, behave. They didn't behave, called all of those things. So eventually, I do what other, every Lagosian does. I wrote a stinker to the person, but I then I included their boss. All right? So by the time I included the boss, immediately they wrote back. We are very sorry this happened. It is our, it is our uh, custom in our business to always provide excellent and first-class service to our uh, something customer, esteemed customers. You understand? <laughs> what was happening? They had oversold and they were embarrassed. 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. That's what uh, Jonah did. He sold. 40 days, this place is coming down. And then, after doing that, it took him three days to go and preach in that place. So, even, it took him three days to preach, but it took him one day to journey to the place. Imagine that. After you have spent three days inside the belly of a fish. Have you been in the belly of a fish before? I haven't, but I can tell you it's not pleasant. He was there for three days. He took one more day to travel there. He then preached there for three days. And because they started to change a little bit, God said he's not doing it again. Ah, uh -uh. <laughs> And you see, the thing about Jonah is that Jonah was a prophet. And as far as you are concerned about a prophet, the worst thing that can be said about you as a prophet is what? You're a false prophet. And the only way we know whether a prophet is false or not is what? The thing that you said, did it come to pass? So the guy is totally like, his, his, his professional legitimacy is being questioned. So on the surface, that's what's going on. That's why he's angry. But I think it's actually a bit deeper. You see, I think the way Jonah reacted to Nineveh and the way many of us react to Lagos is due to something deeper. And you know what it is? The city of Nineveh, just like the city of Lagos, quite often acts as a mirror to us, a moral mirror. It shows us who we really are. And for Jonah, when he looked at the mirror of Nineveh, the way he reacted to them, it reflected or he saw something about himself. You know what he saw? He saw that he was deeply self-centered. It was always about him, not about people or God. I think we can find that if we track those two questions in verse 4 and verse 9 and what happened before them. So look at verse 4. When God looked at Jonah, he said, is it right for you to be angry. Is it right? God is asking him, is it right? Think about it. What really happened here, Jonah? 
I sent you to preach. The people amended their ways, and I didn't judge. Jonah, why are you angry? Well, Jonah is angry because, don't forget, in chapter 1, God told Jonah to do something. What did Jonah do? He ran away. In other words, did he obey? Jonah repented in chapter 2. What did God do? God did not judge him. But then Jonah looks at these people and then says, however, when God is reacting to them, he needs to show justice without mercy. For Jonah, he needs to show mercy without justice. You know that, you know what Jonah was saying? He was saying, I bad small, but these people, they bad past me. When Nineveh was committing sin, Jonah's people as well, that God had constantly called a stiff-necked people. Jonah wasn't saying, God, judge Jerusalem. In other words, Jonah had put himself on a moral pedestal. Jonah had put himself and his people, he looked at themselves as more righteous than the people from Assyria, than the Ninevites. Jonah was judgmental because he wasn't just jealous for God's justice. No, he was, je he was jealous to see God being more judgmental. In fact, it was so bad that eventually Jonah does what a lot of us do. When we want to prove a case or something that we are very passionate about, that's when we now say, after all, doesn't the Bible say? And you know what comes after that? Doesn't the Bible say, for instance, you now say, let's say you see some people that are not working hard. They're not working hard. And you feel they should work hard. Or else they won't get what they get. And I say, after all, doesn't the Bible say that heaven helps those? <laughs> Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. <laughs> Check it out. You see, some people are looking at me. They say, hey, maybe the Bible says it. The Bible has never said that. So stop quoting it. No, Jonah actually misquoted scripture. Look at what he says in verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are. So at this point, he's quoting. He's going to quote God. God had revealed himself in Exodus chapter 34 to Moses, and he said, this is the kind of God I am. So this is verse 6 and verse 7. So he quotes to God. He says, I knew that you were a gracious God and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending Calamity. Full stop. See, yes, now isn't that what God says about himself there? Oh, no, look at it. I'll read Exodus 34 for you. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness. Ah, Jonah is fine. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And that's where Jonah ended. But God continued. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You don't see what's happening. Jonah first wanted God to be uncontrolled with God's anger. He wanted him to be uncontrolled with anger. Just decimate these people, whether they are repenting or not. When God did not react with uncontrolled anger, then you know what Jonah said? Well, God is unjust with his mercy. He first wanted
wanted God to be this extremely wrathful God that has no care for anyone, when he didn't see God to be that extreme, you know what he said, God is the other extreme. He's just this loving God that does not care about sin at all. Whereas when the Bible, when God actually declares who he is, he says he's a loving God, but he's also a God of justice. Amen? In fact, this thing is so much deeper because essentially what Jonah is doing, because he wants the world to center around him, you know what Jonah is doing? Look at the context. Remember, it says Jonah became angry. But in verse 3, what does it say? Verse 2, what does it say about God? God is slow to anger. Jonah is angry, but God is slow to anger. In other words, although God wants us to be godly, Jonah wanted God to be Jonahly. God wants us to be like God, but Jonah wanted God to be like Jonah. And so Jonah looked at this city of wicked people as far as Jonah was concerned, the way he judged wickedness and the way he judged their iniquity and how they should be judged was how he thought things should be. And Jonah wanted God to be that same kind of person and he was angry at God because he wasn't like that. Be careful what self-centeredness can do. Is your assessment about Lagos an unbiblically judgmental one? Are you questioning God by not being like him and instead wishing that God's reaction towards Lagos was like you? That is, if God says, I love Lagos, and you are saying, I don't love Lagos, are you questioning God's own character? You see, many times we look at the people around, let's say, Danford drivers. Maybe I should ask you. Do you place yourself on a moral pedestal above doubtful drivers? Do you place yourself on a moral pedestal above corrupt civil servants, above policemen, above rude customer service personnel, above prosperity pastors? Looking at them and saying that their sin deserves full-blown judgment, but not your own. If that's the case, if that's the way you view the city, then perhaps you are self-centered. You are asking God not to be God, but you want him to be yourself. And so God is asking you, is it right for you to be angry? Here's another thing that um, his self-centeredness expressed. The first one was judgmentalism. But the second was entitlement to comfort. Entitlement to comfort. What do I mean? Look at verse 9. Again, God asked him, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? But this time it was angry about the plant. What does he mean by the plant? Well, let's go to verse 5. Jonah, you know, if you are living in certain parts of Lagos, in center, where there are so many people, when you make it a little bit, you know what you do now. You move to parts where there are not so many people. You move to a more comfortable, more friendly part of the city, maybe just slightly on the outskirts of the busy area. But that's what Jonah did. He went there, preached, and then eventually in verse 5 he says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what will happen to the city. So when he got there, what happened? 
don't forget, it was a nice part of the city because God provided a leafy plant and, it, and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his what? Discomfort. What do you think that, hap- what that, made, uh, what do you think that did to Jonah? Jonah was very happy about the plant. But then, at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. That is after that God then asked him, is it right for you to be angry? Now notice, Jonah is angry in verse 4, verse 3, verse 2, verse 3. Then Jonah moves out of the city. Jonah becomes very happy. Then the next day, Jonah is already angry again. In fact, he's so angry, he says, I just want to die. God says, is it right for you to be angry? He says, it is. It is. He said, in fact, I'm so angry, I just want to die. He started angry. He became very happy. Then he became very angry again. He's not only the angry prophet, he's the moody prophet. And how is his mood changing? His mood is changing, especially here we saw, his mood was changing according to the comfort that he had. Simple. There was comfort, he was very happy. There was discomfort, he became angry, he wanted to die. And you know, many of us, our hatred for Lagos too is simply based on a comfort-discomfort arithmetic. I love Lagos because you are comfortable today. When the rains come, I hate this city. I love Lagos because, I don't know, you got tickets to Banner Boys concert, free ones. Because in Lagos, everything, right? <laughs> I move the chop belay. I move the run belay, but like, let the belay run. It doesn't matter. But on your way back from the concert, some people said, hey, pack, pack, pack. This last my people. Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. We are happy if giving comfort and unhappy giving discomfort. Can I say this? That this view of assessing the city simply based on your comfort or discomfort is, as a Christian, very simplistic and often would lead to petulance and melodrama. Like Jonah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Shade is important. I don't like the sun. But the guy moved from, because of shade, he moved from very happy to very quickly, he's like, I'm going to die, oh, I'm going to die, just kill me. Really? And many times, sometimes too, that is the way we react. That is, it's not that we don't have legitimate discomforts. It's not that there are not things that are difficult in this place. But then we complain about it, we scale it up into, we start using you know, exorbitant language. We start using hyperbolic language. This city is totally finished. There's nothing that can save it again. I can't wait to, well, that we'll get there. I remember a few years ago, a friend of my wife and I, this lady, I won't lie to you. I mean, we love her. We love her. We really do love her. And my wife reaches out to her. I, I, I don't again. I, I don't. Like, I'll send her a birthday text or something. Because when you are with her, all she does is what? Complain. 
complain, complain, complain. Like, imagine you're in your best mood. The moment she comes, three minutes after, it's like, oh my God, oh my God. You almost feel like, 10 minutes after, you feel like killing yourself. That's the way I'm like, no, I can't do this again. On her birthday, my good wife now said, don't worry. This day will be fantastic. My wife called her, wished her happy birthday, prayed for her. Within two minutes, she has started complaining again. To which me, I was like, Good. she started complaining, 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 complaining. My friend, mm, and Tosin knows how to do, mm, uh, you know. Mm. So at some point, Tosin just said, wait, dear, let me ask you something. Because she always complained about Lagos, the business, this, the that, where they live. This is what I said, let me ask you something. Is there not one thing that you are grateful to God for? One thing. So finally put somebody in their place. Like tell them to shut up. Give them perspective. Is there not one thing on their birthday that you are thankful to God for? I heard this myself, so I, it wasn't kidding. I was there. Without batting an eyelid, she said, no. You would think, no. It, it, it was, she wasn't talking to me, it was my wife, but my, I was there, so I heard. Melodrama. Because the first thing you want to say is obviously, like, um, you're alive. Uh, B, you had a baby and the baby's alive. Uh, C, your husband has a job, you have a business. D, you have shelter. I mean, there are so many things. But once you operate out of this comfort-discomfort dynamic, whenever you see everything in the city, all you ever see is how things are not happening to you. And so you feel like I must just die. If that is the arithmetic or the dynamic through which you operate, you will never love the city. Because you will ignore the blessings and the mercy of God that has come to you through the city. There are many things we enjoy here that people in Elisha are not enjoying. It's true. <laughs> eh, who said that? Why? Okay. Ah, Shola. Okay. Sorry, Elohim people. I wanted to go somewhere else, but can it? There are many people that Elohim people are not enjoying that you get here. Let's go back to Elohim, right? But it's just true. It's just true. The, the, the access to the kinds of things that we see, you know, you may think that uh, grocery shopping and going to supermarkets is not a good thing. Okay, go back there now. <laughs> we don't see the benefits and the blessings of God. All we ever do is complain, complain, and complain. Is your assessment of Lagos simply based on your momentary comfort alone? Is God asking you, is it right for you to be angry? Let's allow our view, our current view of the city, tell us about ourselves. Are we self-centered? And then let's turn to God in repentance and hear and practice his own view. Well, our second point tells us about God's view, why we should love Lagos. Now, I want to quickly say this on the other side. Notice that God is questioning Jonah, questioning Jonah. Jonah is angry, but God doesn't just dismiss, simply dismiss Jonah's concerns. And the truth is that we have many concerns in Lagos Town. I'm not with this sermon or at any point in the series going to just dismiss them. And we also, if you have a good view, a positive view towards the city, you should not just dismiss people's concerns. You have to be patient. God showed patience with Jonah, seeking to understand their viewpoint. He asked them the question twice. And then after we have listened and listened well, we should then give reasons 
for why we hold to the view that we hold. Because God did exactly that by capitalizing on the issue with the plant. So why should we love Lagos? Two reasons. Value and fit. Value and fit. Let's take the first one, value. Jonah's love for himself meant that his concern, as you see in verse 10, his concern for God's creation was misplaced. His concern for God's creation was misplaced. What do I mean by that? Now, God created everything. That's what Christians believe, right? God created everything. He created plants. He created animals. He created uh, human beings. But he created plants on the third day. He created animals on the sixth day. And he created human beings on the sixth day. Though God created everything, not all things have the same value. Amen? Plants, in animal plants, have less, than, less value than animals. Do we agree? And animals have less value than image-bearing humans. Bible says that when God created human beings, he said, let us make them in our own image. In other words, every human being has infinite worth. So human beings are more valuable than animals, and animals are more valuable than plants. Jonah cared for a plant. Jonah cared for a plant he didn't make, and he wants God to care for plants more than animals and human beings that God made. It biblically doesn't make any sense, except you are self-centered. So he cares for Jonah first, but after he now cares about a plant. So God is asking him, come on. You have been concerned about this plant you did not tend or you make grow. It sprang up overnight and died, died overnight. Let us remember, whenever we talk about Lagos, whenever we talk about cities, we are not primarily talking about buildings, businesses, or buses. We are talking about people. And when you think about loving Lagos, think about loving people, each possessing infinite value. You see, God's point in verse 11 to Jonah is a very, if you like, some people call it a very logical one. What is the point to Jonah when he says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people? What's God's point? We have more people concentrated in cities like Nineveh than in other places. It's simply a numbers game. Here's why it's important. Take land A. Let's say you had land A. And land A was 500 square meters. 500 square meters. And then God so blessed you, so blessed you, that they, were, you dis they discovered that you had 500 liters of oil on land A. Five hundred, just, just work with me. I know 500 liters of oil. Hear me? Please, stop being hypercritical. <laughs> 500 liters of oil on land A. And oil was costing, if you wanted to sell it, with a piece of land, was costing $1,000 per liter. Hallelujah, somebody. <laughs> so 500 square meters, and there were 500 liters of oil on it, and uh, oil is $1,000 per liter. How much is that land worth per square meter? $1,000 per square meter, right? Right? $1,000 per square meter. So every 
square meter on that piece of land is $1,000 you have just hammered. I prophesy to you. <laughs> Each square meter is $1,000. But imagine that I got land B. And land B was 50 square meters. Everybody say, oh. But on land B, we discovered 500 liters of oil. Amen. <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. I prophesied to you the first one. At least say amen for my own. <laughs> All of a sudden, how, many, how much is that land worth per square meter? The first was 500 square meters, 500 liters of oil. Oil is $1,000 a liter, so it became $1,000 per square meter. Now, this one, also 500 liters of oil. Oil is also $1,000 per liter, but now it's 50 square meters. How many, how much is it per square meter? $10,000. Notice, the cost of oil did not change. The, the, uh, the amount of oil did not change. But because you are able to put that same amount of oil with the same value into a smaller space, all of a sudden the land increased by tenfold. It is not that in places, in rural places where they have human beings, that the human beings are of less value than in cities. It is that in cities, per square meter, you have more infinite value of people bearing God's image. Do we understand? God was not saying that one little village in Israel did not, did not have any value. But he's saying, look at Nineveh, 120,000 people, each bearing my image. That is why I love cities. And so God is telling you, therefore, should I not have concern for the great city of Lagos in which there are more than 20 million people? When you look at everyone as you go outside there, those people you do not like, those people that you feel are judging you, those people, each of them crammed into this small, if you like, island. This land represents 0.4% of Nigeria. 0.4% of Nigeria, and yet it takes a tenth of the population of Nigeria. In case you are doing the average, your mind, that's 25 more times dense than should be. God's love for Lagos in a special way, it's not because of the things you see. It's because he has crammed more people here. There is per square meter, per square meter, more image-bearing value in cities than elsewhere. So why should you love this place? Because of the value God places on human beings. Amen? Second, faith. Notice what he says. Should I not have great, should I have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people, but then he describes them. There's the quantitative description, 120,000 people, but there's a qualitative description who cannot tell their right hand from their left. These densely populated cities are filled with people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. In other words, it's filled with people who are spiritually ignorant and lost, and guess what? Deserving of God's judgment. As I explained, Nineveh's wickedness and their faith, and their faith was the reason why Jonah was sent there. Go to Nineveh. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come to me. Many of us have seen and have received wickedness in Lagos by explicit non-Christians, but also by professing Christians. Unlike God who sees image-bearing value or more image-bearing value in Lagos than in other places, we see more wickedness per square meter in Lagos than in other places. That's why we like to retreat to our villages. Saying God says, love this place because of people. And he said, God, don't you get it? It's because of people I hate this place. Because people are wicked. They do not know their left from their right. And so because of that, like Jonah did in verse 5, rather than want an opportunity for people to reform and repent, we'll patiently wait their downfall. Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east, east of the city. There he made a, himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He was still waiting to see that God would judge the city. Or remember the comfort-discomfort dynamic. Now you see all these wicked people, but you don't care for them. You don't care for their spiritual plight. You don't care for their spiritual fate. Now, can I tell you something? If your reaction towards Lagos is simply based on your comfort and your discomfort, and you don't care, really, at this point, for the spiritual plight of the people there, Christian, when you go to a more comfortable city, say something like Toronto, when you go there and you get comfort from there, you will be very happy. And do you know what you will do to the uh, people who are spiritually lost in Toronto? You know what you will do? You will ignore them. When you are in Lagos, you ignore them. Why do you think you ignore them? You are only concerned about your comfort. Why do you think when you get to a place where you are more comfortable, you will all of a sudden notice them? No, you will become very happy like Jonah was very happy. But yet, you will be happy waiting for their judgment. You will do nothing about it. In other words, the reason why when you get to Toronto, you will not be evangelistic, you will be so happy pursuing your big house, your big dreams. You know why? It's because your love or hatred of the city was always about you. It wasn't about people. God is very unlike us, you know. God looks at the city. He sees a lot of people. He sees people are spiritually lost. And it's not that he loves them in spite of their wickedness, but he loves them because of their wickedness. Don't get it wrong. He doesn't love their wickedness, but he sees the fate that their wickedness is preparing for them, and God has compassion for them. Do you have compassion? Or do you just look and you just wait? I'm just waiting for these people to just burn. God is a God of justice. He will come for you. So when you think about all the people, you think about the wickedness of the people, but rather than be concerned about them because of their wickedness and their sin, you hate them because of it. If you operate on this dynamic, you will not love Lagos, but guess what? You will not be godly as well. God calls us to be countercultural. God looks at them and is shown that he's always concerned towards sinners. That's why in Ezekiel chapter uh, 18, he says this, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. 
Or 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When you see those who are lost, is that what your heart is like? Loving Lagos means loving people, but it means caring about their current destructive behavior and their eternal fate as well. Amen? So how must we do this? What kind of love is this? Third point, how we must love Lagos. You see, this love doesn't simply stay at the place of concern. His love is active. Notice, when God looked at the great city of Nineveh, he did not want them to perish. Why? Because of his character. Verse 3, he is gracious, he has compassion, and he has abundant love. And so because he didn't want them to perish, it wasn't just, hey, yeah, see these people. I don't want them to perish. Hey, yeah, but they're going to perish anyway. <laughs> That's not how. See these people. I don't want them to perish. So because God didn't want them to perish, what did he do? He sent a prophet with his word. God called Jonah son of Amittai, and said, go and preach against Nineveh. What did God do to save them? He sent his prophet and what? With word. He sent his prophet with his word. Amen? Amen? Now, this prophet, however, as we've seen, did not want to discomfort himself for them. He ran away. Eventually, when God made him go and preach, he went outside the city to witness their judgment. Although his preaching prevented their destruction, momentarily, it did not stop their destruction eventually. The whole book of Nahum, Prophet Nahum, is actually God's impending and actual judgment on, the, on Nineveh. Nahum 1.14, the Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave for you are vile. Where is the city of Nineveh today? Gone. Jonah's preaching, though momentarily stopped it, his preaching did not ultimately save them. However, when God looks from an eternal perspective at the spiritual lostness of a city he loves, a city like Lagos, you know what he does? He doesn't want us to perish. He wants to save. So what do you think he did? He sent a prophet. But this prophet was very unlike Jonah. Rather than judgmentally run from the wicked city, Jesus lovingly ran towards the sinful city. Rather than being just a prophet with God's word, Jesus was the prophet that is God's word. Rather than go outside the city to witness their destruction, Jesus went outside the city to receive and avert their destruction. Rather than come back from the belly of a fish, Jesus came back from the depths of the grave. Rather than save the city temporarily, Jesus saves the city eternally. The abundant love of God is a love that alters people's behavior. But you and I are called to look at this city, love them because there are so many people with the image of God, but at the same time, there are people who are spiritually lost, and he says, do not hate them. Be concerned for them. Take my word. You know, at the end of the day, the book of Jonah ends in a very funny way. It ends with a question. Should I not be concerned? 
we are not told about Jonah's response. It's left open. You know why? Because God moves from Jonah and then he moves to you. What will you do? Will you love Lagos with this gospel love? This love that comes to sinners? God commends his love whilst we are sinners in this way that Christ died for us. Yes, many people, many people in the world will not die for an unrighteous people. Scarcely will they die for a righteous man. But God commends this gospel love to us in this. While we were sinners, God died for us. God is not calling you to love Lagos because Lagos is lovable. God is calling you to love Lagos precisely because she is unlovable and he wants you to make her lovable. Amen? And that's what I call as Christians. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.